ago i am jason and with me as usual is rich hello rich hey how's it going how was your uh december 1997 christmas mine was fantastic yeah i got a tamagotchi uh, listen to some sure. puff daddy <laughs> I got yeah my puff, got a puff That's daddy good. cd i got my tamagotchi i'm all set man n64 yeah. is fired up ready to go oh yeah love that uh, n64 yeah i'm i'm trying to I, I did not prepare to remember what i was listening to in uh, december uh, 1997 probably a lot of hard rock uh you know at uh, <laughs> that point i was definitely uh I was, you know that that was uh, a little bit post soundgarden but i was probably still listening to like the early 90s stuff i like i was probably getting to the point where i was about to get washed but i was like very very early on in that process given that i was only 18 at the time so he's still still a little angsty so he's still wanted you didn't want because late 90s you started getting a little more happy-go-lucky rock you were still in the clutching to your the pearls of your your grungy angst yeah i was at that point i was had transitioned more to like punk and i, I was definitely getting into the ska too this i think is like the very early stages of yeah. i think 98 was really when you know it, it took off the swing in the sky you know the the real big fish the less than jake you know all that good stuff so that's good that's, and then of course i, I don't know if you were an x64 player but I, I do vividly remember this christmas as being uh believe i got uh wwnw world tour this christmas and oh okay it's all, all i yeah. did for like months afterwards to, to the detriment I, of parents who were like god damn it why did we get you that game why did we yeah we I, not... I played that an awful that was a fun uh play with friends game that that battle royal mode that you could yes! um play yeah, that, 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 that was you pretty awesome pinfalls too that was the, i don't know if you ever did that with the because they had the battle royal but i think you could do uh pinfalls right so yeah it made your battle royal like like now the thought of like me and my friends being like hey this is gonna take two hours awesome whereas now i'd be like oh god i have two i don't know if i have two hours man like we only have like <laughs> like let's get this over with and for but that was like boom we're gonna do this and this battle royal is gonna last two to three hours and we cannot wait because we did it where you could only do pinfalls so like Everybody yeah. had to be eliminated via like so. Everyone was like 10, 15 minutes to get every little guy out. But yeah, now now that seems horrifying. To, yeah, <laughs> that well, I had well, two hours of extra time. I just were there any iconic NBA video games at this point, or was that we were? I feel like we were kind of in a lull. Between... Yeah, it got pretty lean here for a little while. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm trying to think of what what is because you got some really bad like NBA lives kind of fell off. The, for a little bit in, in the same period yeah. like so yeah because like yeah, yeah 95 like, and 96 were really and shit good. like that that stuff yeah. was really bad yeah and then you had nba live 98 and that that wasn't great yeah it was a it was actually a really bad year with really bad cover athletes too this is like when antoine walker was on the cover and keith van horn was on it you're like what are you doing <laughs> oh you hey <laughs> i apologize i mean i'm sorry i'm, I'm sorry to antoine walker <laughs> Yeah, but <laughs> no, it was it was kind of lean there. Believe it or not, yeah, ninety seven to ninety nine yeah. is like a very weird year for because it's like your post NBA Jam, NBA Live had gotten kind of off the rails a little bit, but then you had a, a lot of companies trying to get into it because obviously the NBA is exploding in popularity. So you got you know Sony coming out with the NBA Shootout games. You got. Um, I forgot who it was NBA Action. I forgot who made that one. I think that might have actually been Sega, the, the the team that eventually went on to make NBA 2K. But obviously that game was wasn't that great. And then there was like a Konami, uh, the in the zone one. That's the one I think that had uh, like Ron Harper and Antoine Walker on the cover. Some some inexplicable guys on the cover whatsoever. And then yeah, so it's it was kind of strange there for a while. Then you had Kobe Bryant NBA Courtside that came a little bit later uh, in, in the year, and that that was just all right. But yeah, it took it took a really long time. It wasn't really till uh, the early 2000s that NBA Live got back on track, and then obviously NBA 2K. Uh, comes out but yeah it's it's kind of a lean years for a few a little while for nba games yeah i i remember kind of getting back into the nba a little bit through um one of the dreamcast uh, nba games i forget if it was nba live or nba 
2K. I mean, 2K. Was... 2K was always okay. on Dreamcast, which is the same thing for me because I fell out, okay. obviously, with the Bulls, you know, kind of jumping ahead here a little bit. Once, you know, as at my age, it was just like, oh, the Bulls kind of suck now, so I don't care about the NBA because I was only cared about the Bulls for a little. I mean, I love the NBA, but like when that happens and you, you go through that. So I kind of got out of I fell out of favor with it for a few years. And then NBA 2K, I got like, uh, for one Christmas, I got my, the Dreamcast or whatever. And like, I started playing it. And I was like, yeah, oh, shit, there's all these guys. And like, and that completely. And then I haven't, I haven't left since. And I've played every NBA 2K since then. But uh, yeah, okay. that kind of reignited yeah. me a little bit. I wasn't like done, but I was kind of like, eh, whatever, you know, not really caring. And, and the games weren't all that exciting. And then I discovered, you know, Vince Carter and Dirk and all these guys that maybe I had sort of missed their apex a little bit. And I started to discover them through that game. It was like, oh, boom, I'm back in. And, and I haven't left. So yeah, the, the, it kind of eventually rekindled my NBA interest too. I, and I enjoyed playing the Hawks in that game, um, even though the Hawks were not particularly very good. And then a, a few years later, I moved to Atlanta and then became a Hawks fan when I lived in Atlanta. So that, that, that very, very uh, small spark leading back to my uh, NBA yeah. fandom and eventually what we're doing here through uh, – uh, through that NBA uh, 2K uh, uh, Dreamcast video game, so you know, actually the uh, the Atlanta Hawks. Then we'll get to our, our our actual topic, but I think it was NBA 2K2. They so I used to play online a lot on, on, uh. on the Dreamcast, like the Sega Net or whatever. And the Hawks were like my special team. I would like face guys as the Hawks, and everybody would be like, "Oh, come on, you're going to beat the Hawks." And I was like, "Dude, that, like because you got Jason Terry raining threes, you got Sharif grabbing boards. Like that team was good. Like yeah. it was like I, in real life, it was Glenn not Robinson. Great. Yeah, <laughs> right. But like some fun in video stuff, games, right. it's like a great video game team. Like there's a lot of shooters. You know, I'm playing like D'Antoni style. In, in the early 2000s nobody can handle it right Sharif's yeah. doing work out there I think you got a little like Tony Kukoc is still hanging around I thought no he was he was gone by that point I forgot who was on that it's like the 2001 2002 Atlanta Hawks I forgot yeah. exactly there were a lot of trades there, but... in during that time too so yeah uh, I, it was yeah, uh, Theo Ratliff would have been there Alan Henderson probably. oh Alan Henderson oh he did work man yeah. he was great yeah yeah <laughs> he was a good Alan video Henderson. game player yeah yeah <laughs> Theo Ratliff got... oh Theo Ratliff got every board like oh, anywhere yeah. near him like no doubt it was he was snagging that so that's good, yeah. How did this feel, team not win more than 30 games a year? I, oh, come on. Hard, hard to know, yeah. Uh, yeah, I wonder if Dan Tony played any, like, NBA uh, 2K or NBA Live and, like, uh, got his ideas of how to play. Yeah. I feel like I feel like everybody who played uh, video games, like, eventually kind of got to that, uh, you know, shooting lots of three-pointers yeah. and, you know, running gun because it's, like, a fun style and it was effective in that setting. So I wonder if uh, – I'm, I'm doubting it. Uh, I'm, I'm – <laughs> I'm uh, proposing this not seriously, but I uh, it's interesting if you ever born in uh, Italy playing NBA Live '95. This is what I got to be doing here. <laughs> yeah, but uh, Dermar Johnson too before he uh, had his uh, horrible oh, yeah. car accident. He was he was a baller too in that game. So and in real he life was, too, he was, but, you know that's right. Yeah, good times. But that's that's uh, that's in two years. That's in three or four years on this podcast. We'll talk about that. So. Yeah, right. We're, we jumped a little ahead of ourselves. That's okay. You know, sometimes the digressions uh, make the uh, podcast even more fun. So. Uh, so getting to what we're actually uh, meant to be talking about is uh, December 1997 in the NBA. And uh, I think, well, obviously the dominant story of uh, of that month is uh, Latrell Spiro attacking his uh, his coach uh, in Golden State, P.J. Carlissimo, um, choking him, grabbing him around the, uh, the neck and uh, creating a obvious welt and uh, scratch on his uh, throat. And then uh, after he's pulled off and uh, he leaves, he comes back about 10 minutes, 15 minutes later, and uh, they exchange some punches again. And uh, before he is uh, eventually uh, thrown off the team, and there's a whole lot more that's going to happen. We'll, we'll get into um, some of the things as they develop throughout the uh, month. Uh, initially, he was... Um, Actually, after the initial reports came out, the Warriors had a hastily arranged press conference. Uh, they, the Warriors, uh, suspended him initially for ten games, although it was uh, they left that in the open, saying you know it could be longer depending on how things go. Um, 
And uh, and both Sprewell and Carlissimo had, you know, long histories of conflict with each other and with other people. Uh, there was a notable incident uh, about a month before during a game against the Lakers where they argued during a timeout when Sprewell was laughing during a 35-point uh, defeat. Carlissimo ordered him out of the game, and uh, Sprewell called Carlissimo a joke. And um, also two days later, Carlissimo ordered Sprewell out of practice and benched him before a game against Detroit. And they had Sprewell had not been talking publicly, and um, and then he routinely ridiculed uh, Carlissimo in private. So, and they both had Brennan's with other guys. Uh, Sprewell and Tim Hardaway had feuded. Um, Sprewell had also was um, upset with Don Nelson because he traded Chris Webber and Billy Owens. Um, and uh, eventually, Hardaway was traded to Miami partly because of the uh, feud with Sprewell. And meanwhile, Carlissimo, when he was coaching in Portland, had feuded with. Uh, Rod Strickland mm-hmm. and uh, Clifford Robinson. So, uh, so, so, so both guys had had issues of conflict, and that's obviously some of that is just going to happen in the NBA when you get these personalities. And some of these, I think, is because these guys had uh, personalities that definitely clash with, with, with each other. Right. Yeah. Neither one's really, you know, innocent in this case. And we're going to go as as we go on. Like you said, we'll have a little bit more stuff that comes in. But really, the big smoking gun or the thing that really kind of set it apart from a lot of things is is, is uh, Spreewell coming back. Uh, after being initially pulled off, and that seems to be kind of the, the part that everybody sort of harps on, is, you know, it's one thing to get kind of heated during a, a you know, a practice or whatever, but once he gets separated, once he gets put away, then he comes back, and that's the part that a lot of people um, would sort of focus on a little bit and would be really the big point of contention uh, as we move forward. Yeah, and, and the fact that, you know, he actually physically choked him and, you know, apparently Carlson was unable to breathe for a yeah, right. short amount of time. <laughs> Not well, great. It, yeah. well, yeah, I mean, that's, that's important. It also, the you know... Um, Later on, we'll find out that Sprewell yelled, I'm going to kill you um, during that time. I mean, those, those things kind of separate it from, you know, routine things, conflicts that happen in um, the NBA. And, and there's going to be, I mean, this is obviously important because of, of that level of violence and it being a, um, you know, a particularly intense fight involving a player and a coach. But you, the, the backlash to this and the response to this and the way this frames how the NBA is seen and talked about and like shown in like a narrative way and this is going to come upon you know the nba's most um important labor struggle of its time and the way players are seen i I mean this is sort of a i i think a you know galvanizing moment in terms of how the nba is going to be perceived for the next few years in the post jordan era and there's a lot of stuff that you know is, is going to influence that we've already talked about some of it and i'm sure we're going to talk about more of it as we go through the series but this is really um i mean th- th- this was a really big deal that got a lot of national attention and it was just a absolutely huge story um in its time it, you know it, you can't really undersell how important this mm-hmm. really was in terms of you know like leading network news and you know being on like you know mainstream talk shows i mean this was really a thing that got talked about outside of the normal circles that talks about the nba yeah, absolutely. And like you said, it, you know, with in the shadow of the, the, the potential labor negotiation in the shadow of, you know, eventually Jordan leaving and, and the NBA sort of not quite understanding what its identity was or not quite sure what its identity would be post Jordan. Yeah, it, it is. It does set the stage for, for a pretty, um, pretty interesting time in terms of how the NBA treated itself and how it thought its players were and, 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 and how the public, more importantly, how the public perceived the NBA and its players and stuff. So it's, it's, it's definitely fascinating. Yeah, it's a real big jump off point, too. And it really sets the stage for, for what would be quite a few years like you said of, of the nba and, and and trying to find its identity yeah uh, a couple quick notes about this from a, a new york post initial um 
reports said that Sprewell, the, it was a 15-second stranglehold, and he said, I'm going to kill you. You better get me off this team or that's what I'm going to do. Um, and also, the uh, and I had no idea that the the Blazers had already been nicknamed the Jail Blazers um, at this point. The, the Carlissimo, as he had been fired from the uh, from Portland, they they already had had acquired that nickname. And I'd always thought of that nickname as being more, you know, early two thousands, um, right? Yeah, Blazers, yeah. but but that actually dated back to at this point. So I think that that was interesting as well. Yeah, which is weird, because I wouldn't, uh, yeah, I, I was the same way. I always thought it was, like, the 2001, you know, the post, like, the not-as-competitive Blazers anymore, like, because right. you had your few years where they were, like, right in the mix or whatever, and I thought that was, like, you know, one thing, and then there was the the post-that, and then that was the Jail Blazers, but I guess I'm wrong, so. Right. I mean, the Jail they, Blazers now, even though they yeah, have, like, Steve I, Kerr and, like, you know right. what I mean, <laughs> like, Arvita Sabonis, but I guess, all right, whatever, sure. like. I mean, they they had, they had Rashid, who definitely was a part of that personality. They would get Damon Stoudemire this season, but so he wasn't even on the team yet. I mean, I'm trying to think, like, the dominant guys you yeah. think of like well it's you know it's, it's interesting because a lot of this and, and we're gonna talk about it a lot with with, with the spreewell thing but it's it's the public is still for whatever reason it seems like most mainstream writers in the public is still kind of weird about the nba's blackness you know what i mean like there's this weird like i don't know if it was and i don't know what the percentages and all that stuff but it seems like they've I, I don't know if it was a change in the guard or whatever but there seems to be a definite like uneasiness about how the league is going and who's making up the league or whatever and like i don't know if it's dramatically different than it was 10 years ago but when you read a lot of this stuff there is a lot of those undertones of like this league is is, is turning too much of this or whatever you know it was, it was very strange reading it especially the spree was a great jumping off point for all these writers who were probably going to write it regardless but now had a perfect opportunity to say ah look see this is what's happening to our league yeah, or whatever it, so it's, it's it's strange in that way yeah and, and there's definitely yeah and you're right this is absolutely about you know a a, a racial panic about the um nba and, and i don't think the demographics of the league were necessarily changing that much but it was you know there is a the the influence of like um hip-hop culture into the game is you know being mm-hmm. seen here in terms of how players are dressing and oh and they're getting um, paid too which helps a lot i mean that, that yeah they're getting paid a lot more too. it's like well this guy's making yeah. 15 million and he's been an asshole you know like they would do stuff right. like that whereas you know if they were making four million dollars a year or whatever they used to you know that that's one yeah. thing but now these these prima donna athletes are making 10 to 15 million dollars a year unbelievable like so that right. really can I, I think played a lot of part uh, in it too yeah and the 90s are definitely the changing you know the, the way the popularity of the NBA has led to big changes in in terms of the access that the media had. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, you t- t- talk about the '70s and '80s when you know they're traveling with the team, they're you know attending most practices. There's a very open relationship between journalists and the team, and it's much it, it's changed a lot. You know, in the uh, '90s, as the you know the teams don't need the media in the same way they used to, so there's not as much openness, and that, that probably leads to some resentment and to some more separation from the players and the media, where you know the uh, you know reporters got to know players a much more person level there was there was a much more kind of understanding of these guys and now you know maybe there's less ability to have those relationships and have those links and leads to you know assumptions that players are arrogant or players are just you know um out of control or whatever that that kind of thing perceived so there's a lot going on here yeah yeah and you get that with every sport too around this like you said kind of similar to this time the baseball strike is one of the big ones too where everybody kind of goes like ah this isn't my you know father's baseball where you'd see the player you know shopping at the grocery store like now they're you know these these you know prima donna athletes that make too much money like because there always used to be the perception that they're just the guys in your town or they're just you know they're pro athletes or just you know guys everyday men or whatever but now they're 
sort of, and, and every league sort of went through the same sort of transformation, similar time, you know, some, some leagues a little earlier, like the baseball, you know, 94, 95, it kind of went through that. Uh, and the NBA seems to be kind of going through that right now and would of course go through that, uh, especially during the labor strike that we'll talk about here, uh, in a few, uh, few episodes here. Yes. Um, so, so yeah, so, um, on the lighter side of things, um, so Scotty Pippen has had some, there have been some trade rumors and we alluded to them um, in the past episode. He had demanded a trade again um, at this point. He has not played uh, during this season. And Charles Barkley had a funny quote when uh, asked about uh, Pippen joining the uh, Rockets. Yeah, so uh, Charles Barkley, uh, this is um, from early December, of course, 1997, he says, uh, was asked, uh, Charles Barkley was asked if Scottie Pippen would look good in a Rockets uniform. Barkley said no, but it isn't because he's against the Bulls star joining the Rockets. Barkley is just against the Rockets' cartoonish uniforms. He says, quote, this is the worst uniform in the history of civilized sports. We need to donate this uniform to science fiction. Yes. So, so there's a lot to unpack there. For once we which... Charles, a very... Yeah, uh... no, yeah, we, we're usually not pro-Chuck, but uh, yeah. we agree that we did an episode on, on, on the worst jerseys or the worst year of jerseys, and I think, I don't know if those were number one but they were definitely in the top five um yeah for, for horrendous jerseys i mean the, god just horrible but i like the idea that donating them to science fiction like what, yes. what is it just like an organization of science fiction, <laughs> science fiction like we yes. are we are the yeah. we are the, the leaders of science fiction charles thank you for these uniforms but uh no he's absolutely right they are the worst uniforms um maybe not the worst yeah. but they're they're certainly up there they are absolutely horrendous and and just yeah just awful <laughs> Yeah, and, and there's a quote from um, uh, you, you, Phil Jackson blasted Pippen for for abandoning the Bulls, essentially. And then uh, Jordan said that if he had known that Pippen would seek a trade, he actually would have retired uh, in, in the summer and not come back in uh, 98, which was interesting. He also reiterated that he was going to make this his final season, said Phil is not going back. He said it would take wild horses to drag him back. It isn't anything too surprising. Um, yeah, so there's just the Bulls yeah. being the Bulls. Yeah, <laughs> although we'll get into it a little bit later that things are actually looking up for them on the court as yes. this uh, month uh, progresses, even without Pippen. So, um, also Adam Silver was named president and CEO of NBA Entertainment. He had joined the NBA in 1992 as a uh, special assistant to the commissioner and had already served as a senior VP for NBA Entertainment. So. Um, and he was looking to uh, create uh, additional programming, including a kids program that is perhaps animated, which I actually think is a really uh, good idea, um, and a, um, a late night program that is either shown in on HBO or sold in a syndication, which uh, didn't really happen, but sounds interesting as well. So uh, Adam Silver, of course, rising star in the uh, NBA. I've been all in on that uh, the animated kids show, but damn, that never happened. Like I, yeah. I, I love my inside stuff. <laughs> Growing up, I would I would have killed for an animated show, but that's all right. It's 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 it that's what, it is, so. what can you do? Yeah. So that'd be fun, and also like, the Return of the Magic. I'm also uh, in on the Return of the Magic show as well. The late night. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Magic Johnson. Def- definitely want that. If you need a host, I know I, uh, a guy. <laughs> so. Oh yeah, uh, uh, you got got a guy. You know, you got somebody. Um, yeah, I I I think that would uh, I think that would be good. I agree. Um, so uh, another big thing happening this month is the Wizards opened a new arena. And the Wizards, there's a lot going on with the Wizards in uh, this month. Uh, uh, Bill Clinton was there for the arena and said that uh, uh, this has been the best thing for the psychology of the city. It's a real shot in the arm. Um, and uh, talks about how uh, this, because the Wizards went from, you know, Landover, Maryland to actually downtown in, you know, Washington, which was reversed kind of the trend of a lot of stadiums you know like palace of auburn hills you mm-hmm. know, moving from the city to actually the suburbs so this 
has kind of brought a trend of bringing it back from the outskirts to actually in the uh, city. Right, like Richfield Coliseum, stuff like that. Yeah, there was a while in the 70s and 80s where everybody was trying to get out to the burbs and get out, you know, to a big plot right. land surrounded yeah. by a parking lot. And, and yeah, this was sort of a weird departure where it's like, no, 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 we're going to bring it, it yeah. back to the downtown area, which is, is, is now seems so, because everybody's, that's the goal now is, is get, a, you know, a, an arena in the, but yeah, it was for, you know, 20, 30 years, it was get as far away from the city and get to the suburbs where uh, people are sort of moving and, and we can get a big plot of land. And yeah, so it was a, a big departure to, to go back to the city and, and build a new arena. Yeah, you um, and, and you kind of kept track of the biggest movers of December, you know, the teams that had improved or, or unimproved, the gotten worse the most. So, and Wizards were one of those on your list. They were, yeah. They, so they went 11-5 and five, uh, in December. They upped their win percentage by 19%. Uh, they only got them to 500 at 16-16. to 16, But what's kind of interesting is uh, you look at it, and they might have been inspired by their, their move to the, the new arena because they played uh, five home games uh, at the U.S. Airways before moving to the MCI Center uh, December 2nd. So they started the year playing at the at their old arena, then moved, obviously, to the downtown MCI Center December 2nd, and led them to a great month at 11-5. and five. <laughs> It's a pretty great record. Uh, some other fun stuff about about uh, the opening of the the new arena that uh, A. Pullen, uh, the Wizards owner, he nudged the NBA schedule makers about making the Seattle Supersonics the first team uh, to come to the MCI Center. And uh, the reason he wanted to do this is they helped christen the U.S. Airways Arena, uh, then the Capitol Center in 1973. So, uh, and another little interesting fact about that too, and this is from Pullen, this is a quote from the Washington Post, I, I can't hold it in any longer. On December 2nd of this year, we will be playing our first ever game at the MCI Center, 24 years to the date that the Capitol Center opened. So pretty cool. We'll be playing the same team on the same date, you know, 20 24 years apart um, with the new arena. So that's 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 pretty awesome that uh, he was able to make that happen. I, I don't know what he had to do or who's, you know, how many Washingtons he had to slip into pockets or whatever, but that's pretty cool that, uh, you know, the same team on the same day opens up the arena. So that, that's pretty nice. Yeah, nice uh, nice deal. So, yeah, it didn't really, as we see, it um, it wasn't necessarily some huge revival for the Wizards, but, I mean, the Wizards have had um, probably more success in the last 20 years than they had had in the previous 20 years after the end of the, you know, unselled Hayes era. So, uh so there you go. Um, so back to Latrell Sprewell. Um, they uh, a couple days after the initial incident, you know, the, kind of the third and the uh, fourth, uh, the Warriors are looking into um, investigating whether they can get out of paying him ever again, whether they can, um, you know, suspend him. It was kind of an issue of whether you know they were going to handle it or whether they were going to. Um, let uh, the NBA handle it. Um, eventually, they decide that they are going to terminate his uh, contract and saying that, you know, it was a fireable offense. And there's some, you know, the union initially was, you know, not really thought, basically said, like, they were trading pretty lightly, said that, like, a, a 10-game suspension, that seems actually pretty fair for what happened. But once they escalated it to the um, to firing him, and then the NBA uh, is soon going to weigh in and decide that he should be suspended for a one whole year, then they start to um, kind of galvanize and uh, mm-hmm. and and say, like, hey, we, you know, this is, this is too much uh, for what happened. Um, some sample early action from the uh, media on um, on the incident is because it, it takes a couple days for you know stuff to appear in newspapers. You know, kind of responding to it. That, yeah, of course, media moved a slow more slowly back then. Um, Lacey Banks from the Chicago Sun Times said Sprewell's action to disqualify him from the NBA dream life. If the league does not respond to Sprewell's vile act, the stiffest penalty is hard to see where this might end. Craig Daniels, the Toronto Sun. The NBA should not let him play in its league any longer. He should be banned. Mike Lupica of the New York Daily News 
you send a message to every player playing at every level, and Billy Hunter, if Billy Hunter doesn't like it, Stern, who has been acting tough a lot on the little stuff, should tell Hunter he'll see him in court. And uh, Timberwolves uh, Vice President Kevin McHale, our league has become a me league. Everyone is so concerned about themselves. So some uh, some reaction there. I don't know if you, you have anything to add about how like the initial um, reaction was. We've already kind of talked about a lot of the uh, racial coding, and it wasn't really necessarily in the examples that we used here, but a lot of the uh, racial coping of coding of needing to you know get, get the players under control, the players are running wild, you know that all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean it it it, it is definitely, and and the thing that's going to be more interesting too is sort of the lines that get drawn, and you can sort of see that the the media is sort of taking their line or whatever, and as you said, then um, the labor end of the NBA once the, you know everything starts kind of coming down they start sort of putting their line in the sand it's it's definitely interesting to see that that and and it's sort of you know is a little bit of a preview for the labor issues that we have going on is it seemed like very right. separate camps there are the players and then like because like, you have like Kevin McHale right there being like ah oh, some like you know that sort of stuff and then you have like the obviously Billy Hunter and other guys and then and he's throwing shade at David Stern you know the media it, it's it's very interesting and you could just see how combative everything is going right now so it, it is definitely a, a fun little or I, I guess not not necessarily fun but like definitely a, a preview of what was to come uh, in later and yeah we'll find out as as it goes on a little bit too that like everybody's got their line it's not like no one's got nuance with this thing it's either like throw him out of the league or you know why did he get suspended at all it's a very weird uh weird thing going on so um another big story uh we're still early on in this month uh, it, it's not quite as busy as we get uh further on but um Dallas uh, fires uh, Jim Clemens as a head coach, replaces him with uh, general manager Don Nelson, who'd been installed early on uh, that year. Um, and uh, Clemens had a 24-70 and 70 record. He played for the uh, Knicks in the uh, 70s and uh, also, of course, was an assistant coach with uh, Phil Jackson for the uh, Bulls. He was... Uh, trying to bring the uh, triangle to uh, Dallas, and uh, one of many instances where the triangle uh, didn't didn't do well uh, outside of the uh, Bulls. Um, and uh, there was an interesting article from the uh, Dallas Observer from um, October of the year, looking at the Don Nelson Jim Clemens dynamic, and basically like. Uh, if you read under the wall, this was definitely coming in and everyone kind of indicated, you know, Don Nelson obviously being one of the great coaches of all time. Um, it made sense for him to, uh, to be there. Dallas had already had kind of a disastrous, um, a stint of its previous general manager who had made a really bad trade to send, uh, Jason Kidd away and had, uh, you know, they, they'd already, they moved on from the, uh, from the three J's era, you know, uh, Mashburn was gone, um, Jackson was gone you know there had been so much promise just a few years ago and they you know were kind of moving on from that era and obviously things would uh would get better but uh at least for this month things not going so well no not at all and uh yeah I'm, I'm looking back at that Jason Kidd trade <laughs> that was just not a not a great one I think who did they get they got like uh oh they, you know I think got Sam Cassell Finley and AC Green no you know what that was all right that wasn't too bad but yeah well the... I mean yeah yeah for, for getting for losing Jason Kidd I guess I mean yeah, yeah. They, they, they actually got some solid players yet but who it was they... more that it was more the the public PR yeah. thing is like we had built this thing we had done these because they had been yeah. bad for quite a few years and 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 the reason they you know they were able to acquire Jim Jackson and Jamal Mashburn and Jason Kidd is is they were terrible it's like all right cool we got the building blocks and then the building blocks are just gone and just like, oh, yeah, all right. like, and Michael and, Finley's fine, but like, you know, yeah. 
It's, uh, he's Michael Finley actually – he became an important part of the next team. So actually, yeah, yeah right, I right. mean, he, he ended up being, I think, better than he would have been seen at the time. And like, But they didn't do anything. You know, they lost Cassell pretty quickly. They lost um, – um, was it Ori that they – yeah, because was Ori there briefly or uh, – He was, I, yeah. There was that weird, like, because he got traded from the Suns, and I think he was there for, for a brief period and then moved on, obviously, to, to, okay, to the Lakers, figure out better okay, things. Yeah. But. Right. Okay. Uh, anyway, so that – yeah, that, so that trade was a little bit weird. But, but anyway, the um, – uh, the, the point being uh, that, yeah, they, they definitely had had a bad stretch. And then and Nelson eventually came in to clean up things. And, yeah, and Jim Clemens, to me, comes off as, like, somebody who's really actually, like, probably w- may have been a good coach if, like, he'd had more time or maybe just didn't believe in the triangle so strongly. Um, but because um, that was not a good fit necessarily with the uh, personnel. And the, the players were at least not happy at that all. they got they got to play in a uh, in an offense that was more fun to play in. So Absolutely, though, again, yeah. They were kind of another uh, big mover for the month, and, and not in a good way. No, they uh, so they were four and eleven at the beginning of the month. Not bad, but all right, we got something. But then they dropped fourteen and fifteen in December, and they were uh, five and twenty five on the year. So yeah, things are not uh, not going well in <laughs> in uh, Dallas. So that's it's all right. Sometimes you got to drop all but one of your games in a month. So eh. so um, the uh, a little bit more on Spreewell. Eventually, he makes the first public comments of. Um, uh, a few days after this has happened, around the 4th of uh, December. And uh, he did not actually apologize to Carlos Mo, but he did say that um, he um, he said that he didn't condone the behavior, but just got to the point where he couldn't take it anymore. Um, he, um, and he, al- <clears throat> excuse me, he also said that, um, you know, all the frustrations had built up to the point where he couldn't take it anymore. And he's going to say more about it um as things go along, but there was, it was notable that he did, it was noted very clearly that he did not uh, actually apologize initially. So um, didn't really show much of a lack of remorse. And there's a lot of response on um, how that is going and as well. A lot of response on the um, NBA suspending him for a year that the union really spoke out, including Patrick union. He said, we're going to fight it. We don't feel like either the warriors or the NBA has the right to do that. Um, a union source, according to the New York Daily News, says we're going to drag P.J. Kalismo through the mud on this, which they uh, definitely uh, did as things uh, developed. And uh, Converse, which initially said, oh, they were going to keep him, uh, a day later said, ah, actually, we're going to terminate you as an endorser. <laughs> um, yeah, probably not a, a good um, – uh, yeah, probably a smart uh, decision uh, there. So, um I do like that Converse is a player at this time, though, for uh, for shoes, and that's 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 definitely a bygone era of the uh, the Converse. Actually, you know, w- once the dominant uh, shoe brand, now just sort of you know <laughs> laying in the wings, but still, you know, still had some pretty good cachet. And there was there was a, a few other companies that had cachet too, uh, which I think we're going to talk about here in a, in a bit. But yeah, it's uh, now it seems so because everyone's Nike, and then there's like a few Adidas people, and then you know Clay Thompson and his Chinese right. shoe. Exactly, <laughs> that's, that's yeah. it. Right. Yes, uh, and there's like one guy that an- that wears and ones, and I don't even know probably. I don't really know. It's like Anthony Tolliver or something like that. Probably wears like <laughs> N ones or something. Hey, I met Anthony Tolliver. He's very nice. So. Yeah, I'm sure. No, I know it. I like yeah. N one shoes. Too, yeah, but, you know, it's, it's good. Yeah. So, um, anyway, uh, the um, speaking of uh, international forays, the uh, NBA had its first uh, regular season game against Mexico on uh, on December sixth. Oh, uh, this should go real well. Everyone should really be on board for this. I'm sure. Yeah, the, the Rockets beat the uh, Mavericks uh, 108 to 106. It was a sold out crowd in Mexico City of 20,000 at the Palacio de los Deportes, and um, the uh, that was good. That was real good. Nice. Thank you for the uh, Fort nice. Worth Bravo. Star Telegram. Uh, Richie Witt wrote that the official impression of the Mavericks is a nice place to visit, but they wouldn't want to play there um 
The Mavs president uh, doubted that the league would ever base a team in uh, Mexico. Uh, the league may get mad at me for saying it, but I just don't think it could happen. Geographically, it may make sense, but I think getting 15 players to live here seven months of the year would be a real challenge, uh, which is interesting given the fact that it, 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 the Mexico City is getting a D-League team, and there's definitely some thought of putting an NBA team there when they do the next expansion, you know, within the next five, ten years or whatever. Um, and uh, it was, a lot of it was written about trying to get the uh, league into the market. Uh, one bad thing that happened: uh, members of the Mavericks dance team were robbed of nearly a thousand dollars during the uh, during the game. So, but NBA officials did replace the uh, stolen money uh, later that uh, night. So, um, not exact. Not I, I didn't really get any more clarity on exactly you know how how that money was robbed. Whether it was, I mean, I guess it wasn't taken directly from them. Maybe it was robbed out of the lockers or something. But um, either way, so. Although I guess Rob implies that they were there and it was taken from them rather than a burglary, which happens when you're not there. But either way, um, I guess uh, leave that one a mystery. Oh, you're right. I never realized that that was a distinction. I guess I've learned something today. That's good. Uh, yeah, it, Among jur- other things. One of the jur- other things I've learned. But Journalism, you uh, it's important to learn that, So, given my background. So, yes. Um, uh, but, yes. Uh, so... Um, Wesley Person, named uh, Player of the Week, uh, has a really good mark for the uh, the Cavs, who have a, a a fairly strong month. They didn't quite make our uh, our, our great movers, but uh, you know Sean Kemp obviously was brought there. They kind of have almost a whole new team under Mike Fratello, and they're uh, you know uh, uh, Brevin Knight and uh, Zdrzenis Lagaskis as uh, as very young players. Uh, they may be rookies or second year players. They're uh, they're doing very well there. Yeah, no, it's a, it's an interesting team going on uh, there in Cleveland, and it's it's like they're kind of building something here. It's it's been a while for for Cleveland. And uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting. But yeah, Wesley Person having a great month, and and yeah, like we um, we talked about it a lot too. Where the, the perception is, you know, Kemp goes to the Cavs and he's immediately fat and immediately bad. But that wasn't true at all. He was very good for a few years, and it's just you know later after the lockout and and as he moved on to other stops is when he got real bad. But yeah, they're they're a solid team, and it's it's not uh, uh, they're building something there in Cleveland. And yeah, I don't know if it's a it's a contender quite yet, but uh, it's got the it's got the makings of something. Yeah, maybe it, hopefully it doesn't. Sorry. And uh, <laughs> some sad news. Um, uh, Penny Hardaway placed on injured reserve with tendonitis in his left knee. Also, uh, Nick Anderson broke his um, right hand and um, is expected out four to six weeks. So the uh, although the Magic were actually playing fairly strongly without Hardaway, he'd already been dealing with quite a bit of injuries um, early on in that month. And this is going to be something that that definitely plagues him throughout the uh, rest of his um, career. But they were seven. One without him so far uh, that season. There were kind of rumors of some discord between him and um, uh, Chuck Daly, um, and uh, there there's a um, there's an article that says that the injury is a growing concern for the team because he spent time on the injured list last season after undergoing arthroscopic surgery on the knee prior to last year. Um, They'd also uh, been getting some good play out of Derek Strong, um, who uh, and also he'd been dealing with some injuries there. So they're even though they're doing okay so far this season, the injuries are going to kind of fail them, and of course, it's going to be something that Hardaway deals with for the rest of his career. And we were kind of trying to trace exactly when, like the, the actual serious knee injury or the seriousness of the knee injury was understood, and that was kind of murky and vague. Yeah, it's it's hard to get a, a an exact time of of when it happened, and I'm sure it's something that we're going to sort of follow as we we go. On 
on in the series. But uh, yeah, it looks like that he had had some lingering injuries. Like he had a meniscus tear a year prior, had gotten surgery, had sort of rehab, came back a little earlier than they wanted him for rehab or whatnot. And then it's hard to really pinpoint. It's not like, an, and, and, and he alludes to this a lot as well. I mean, there was a, a few years ago where he was uh, all over the media again, like kind of doing a lot of interviews and whatnot. I forgot if he was promoting something exactly, but uh, a lot of people asked him about the injury and, and, and everybody always says the injury. And he always says it wasn't like one thing. Like I didn't like, you know, cause now we're sort of used to, you know, guy falls, his knee hurts. Everybody does, you know, immediately there's an MRI immediately. They know, okay, it's a torn ACL or he did this or, you know, he, he dislocated kneecap. We know almost instantly what the problem is. This is a case where he just said like, it hurts. And everybody was like, well, are you sure it hurts? Are you being a baby? Like what's, you know, well, how, what's your pain level? You know, is there, and it never was that one thing where he just came down, the knee exploded and he was gone for a year and then rehabbed and came back or whatever. It was sort of a buildup of, of things to come. So you always hear that he had a, you know, a devastating knee injury, but it's not that one thing. It's like kind of a buildup of, of, of wear and tear. The meniscus probably coming back a little too early from that. And then really he can't pinpoint it. And he always says that I never felt a pop. I never felt one thing. I just felt like I couldn't go, you know, and I felt like I was hurt, but nobody would really do anything. And there wasn't really a great way to diagnose exactly what it was. And, and we sort of talked about how he just missed the cutoff. Cause then it would be a few years later where like, we obviously now know. And, and, and from not then on, we've always gotten a little bit better about knee injuries of when a guy's actually hurt and what's going on. But it was kind of wild west there for a while there where it's like, you know, unless it's some big thing where you fall down and you obviously feel it and you know that it happened. If you just kind of feel a tweak and your knees kind of sore, like a lot of times it'd be like, well, just kind of keep playing or, Hey, you're, you know, kind of do some. So yeah, it's, it's really interesting there where it's hard to really pinpoint an exact moment when Penny got hurt. So when people say, you know, devastating knee injury or, you know, he, he did, there's not really that one. It's just sort of a buildup of, of years of wear and tear eventually leading to, you know, what he would end up unfortunately becoming. Yeah, which is shame because obviously he was incredibly dynamic player and a lot of fun to uh, root for and to, and to see play when he was at his uh, best. But uh, unfortunately, that happens. And it, yeah, it, it was one of those things where if it just happened a couple years later, maybe they would have been able, they would have had the ability to diagnose it better, and w- and it wouldn't have been. It might have been something where they could have you know salvaged him a little bit more. But you know, they uh, unfortunately were unable to do that. But uh, so going back to. Um, Latrell Sprewell, the, uh, this is kind of the, the, the peak of the coverage of it. It's the subject of both uh, NBC's Meet the Press and ABC's This Week. Um, Aaron Tellum, who is Sprewell's agent, was the lead guest on, on This Week. Also, there was John Feinstein and Walt Frazier. Um, and uh, on um, Meet the Press, it was uh, NBA Executive Director Billy Hunter, who was grilled by uh, Tim Russert on uh, – and and Hunter tried to uh, downplay the idea of you know racism being here, um, and um, he also there was also talking about the uh, one thing that was brought up was the issue of the league's drug policy and marijuana, which you know, it's, it's kind of like it seems quaint now given attitudes of marijuana, but was you know one of the things and another one of those kind of coded racial things where you know what you know these players are smoking marijuana and they're making all this money and you know blah blah <laughs> so. Um, and, and people still, obviously, I, I think that isn't, hasn't gone away entirely, but I think it's, it's, it's less than given. Yeah, don't the, tell, don't tell Jeff Sheston. <laughs> no. Yeah. We, no, no, don't Jeff Sheston. Yeah. It's a, it's a fair point. Um, uh, and, uh, so yeah, that, that was kind of the, uh, key thing. There, there's still going to be some, uh, there's gonna be one major thing that, uh, Spreewell does in terms of, uh, speaking out and that it's, it's kind of going to be the the main things that happened at least for uh, this month before we get to that um michael jordan um has uh some major uh, milestones and this is kind of getting to the point where the bulls are uh starting to uh, show some improvement yeah so the bulls um 
we talked uh, last uh, last month about their slow start, uh, and and again, you know, they were you know nine and seven, that, but that's panic mode for you know the two time defending champions. Uh, but they rebounded in December. They went eleven and three, uh, jumped up their uh, win percentage by about ten percent, and and got them to twenty and ten on the year. So now about about kind of where you, you think they would you know go, and and a little bit of the turnaround. I, I kind of looked at the difference of their November stats and their December stats, and I think one of the big things is they just were getting to the line more. I mean, they they got to the line seven more times. There were seven more times a game that they had more free throw attempts uh, in December than they did in November. November, and that equated to about six more points per game, and that's about all of the difference that they needed, really. I mean, they they weren't like they were getting blown out. Obviously, in the first month, they were you know being a little slow. There was some stuff that you know you can dig into a little bit. Uh, Michael Jordan is rehabbing from a toe injury. Obviously, don't have Scottie Pippen, but there's still the expectation that well, this is still the Bulls, and they still you know should be kind of buzzed on to the league. And and they were able to kind of do it in December. It kind of got it together, and 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 you know Jordan got to the line a lot more. Jordan was scoring a little bit more. Uh, obviously, he's getting a little bit more healthy, but the team in general is looking better. But uh, as far as Jordan Jordan as a whole, um, it was on the 9th, uh, December 9th, that he uh, became the third leading scorer in NBA uh, history with uh, 182 win over New York. He scored 29 points. He gave him uh, 27,432 points over 13 seasons that passed Moses Malone, who had scored 27,409 in 19 seasons. So you can see Jordan already passing him uh, over 13 seasons. And, of course, we continue to climb up that ladder. But, uh, yeah, pretty interesting there, uh, passing Moses Malone uh, in only 13 seasons for, for Jordan. Yeah, I I don't think this counts ABA, so I think Irving would still be ahead of him totally. Right, oh yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Just saying, just for NBA, he uh, he passed him. Um, still, uh, obviously, an important uh, milestone. Uh, and we'd overlooked a little bit... Um, uh, Jason Palumbo had uh, mentioned to us on Twitter, uh, double dribble WP, good good follow. He um, uh, he mentioned to us that we had didn't really talk about the uh, the fact that uh, Jordan had uh, toe surgery in the offseason, which kind of led to um, some uh, the. Uh, some of the slow start for him and the Bulls in particular, and he definitely picks it up in terms of scoring. He has some really, you know, some high 40s. Uh, I don't think he quite gets a 50, but he he has some really high scoring. Um, you know, it really takes the load. Rodman, you know, has some really gaudy rebound totals, you know, like in the high 20s uh, in this month as well. So they, they really... Um, uh, did uh, did step it up, and he's going to have another milestone and some and something very curious that happens to him at the uh, end of the month. But we'll um, we'll get to that. <laughs> so uh, as I as I mentioned, the another uh, key moment in this three well case uh, is on uh, December 9th, December tenth. Uh, he publicly apologizes to uh, PG Carlissimo, and um, there was a, a big news conference. Uh, there was uh, a. Uh, several uh, of his uh, teammates were there. I'm trying to uh, find the uh, list offhand uh, of who was there. Robert Ory, who had uh, teamed with him at Alabama and who, in fact, had uh, um, uh, introduced himself to Johnny Cochran, who was uh, there uh, amusingly. So, um, so Spreewell apologized to both uh, Carlissimo and Warriors general manager uh, Gary St. John, was supported by uh, a handful of his uh, former uh, teammates, and um, the uh, also his uh, his agent there, uh, Arn Tellum, uh, Johnny Cochran was there, uh, Billy Hunter was there, um, and and seven seven players, including six of his teammates from the Warriors, um, and uh, it basically you know um, we're saying I, mean, I I don't know what do you think in general of like. Do you think a year suspension seems reasonable given what happened, or do you think it seems extreme? I mean, I, 
it's obviously pretty serious what happened. I, I think that, I mean, you mentioned that Carlos Simo wasn't like entirely like innocent because he was definitely somebody who could get in somebody's face and was not necessarily someone who treated NBA players with maybe the level of respect that um, you should. Of course, the level of violence from Sprewell was pretty dramatic. So, um, but it does seem, it was very, it, it did seem like it exceeded, you know, all kinds of, uh, of past precedent. So, yeah, that's yeah. No, it's, it's it's pretty tough too because yeah, they, and, and and Billy Hunter brings up a lot of precedent of like, hey, well, this guy did this and only got this, and this guy. Got... So it seemed kind of unprecedented that they would you know slap the one year uh, ban on him. But I, it, it, it's tough though because yeah, the, the level of violence is a little different than you would usually get. And like I always bring up, you know, the coming back after you know the choke and 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 you know the I'm gonna kill you part, you know, that we heard that that, that was said as well. Those are that's pretty that's big stuff. I mean, that's kind of heady stuff there. I, I don't know. It was kind of a there's almost like a no win situation. Like I don't know if there's anything that they could have done. It's something like you know if they did 20 games, people would have said that's not enough. Or oh my god, how are you letting this guy? So the public may have been. I I, I just think it was because that rift was going to exist regardless. Like we said, the line in the sand. That I don't know that there was quite a right move to make there. Like yeah, because 20 games is going to get a lot of the oh my god. Well, not, I mean you can attack your coach and only get you know suspended for 20 games. And the one year ban seems a little extreme. I don't I don't hate the one year ban. It's just it, it it's. It is if they had just said like games. I think it's the fact that they said like one year. You know what I mean? Like if they had just said he suspended for fifty games, which would have basically been you know most of the year, and they could probably just you know slowly say, hey, we're not going to have him come back. We're going to trade him after the year. Maybe that would have come across a little bit better. But it seemed very um, kind of puffy chested to be like it's going to be a whole year. Yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's I'm I'm kind of conflicted in that too. I don't know uh, yeah. which what move I, I would have made. I, it feels to me. In, it's similar to the Kermit Washington punch on Rui Tomjanovich where it seems like the punishment is influenced by the public disgust about what happened. Exactly. Right, right. Yeah, so it, it's like, yeah, it's, it's certainly bad on its own, but it seems like you're, you know, you're really... Well, because, the like, they didn't hand it down exactly, like you're saying. They sort of waited to see, okay, what is the public going to say? Oh, this is a disgrace. Yeah, we're right. Yeah, one year. Because, like you said, initially it's just a few games, and then they kind of let everybody, you know, digest a little bit and then come up with the idea, which I guess there's something to be said for waiting and, and, and trying to make a rash decision, but it did feel like it was very much like a, hey, let's see what people are going to say about this. And then when it's late, leading off, you know, ABC Nightly News or whatever, it's like, all right, well, we have to, you know, get out in front of this and... and and really make it seem like we're trying to do a lot um, uh, to stop it. So I don't know, but it, it's like, you know, it was a bad, you know, what he did was, you know, deserved a, a pretty harsh punishment too. So I don't know. It, it, it's tough. I'm, I'm glad I wasn't a decision maker at this time. <laughs> yeah. Um, I would have taken the paychecks. I mean, I would have still taken the check, but you know, it's it, otherwise, it, you know, was not an easy decision. Yes. So um, from uh, December 10th, uh, Dikemba Mutombo, he's convinced the Hawks are underrated. And his quote is maybe the people who analyze teams need to go back to their computers and figure out what went wrong. Maybe their blue chips were messed up. So oh, look uh, at that. Look at, <laughs> yeah. Look at Dyke throwing some shade at the nerds with their computers. I know. I know. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Even back in 97. Yeah. Because God only knows. Yeah. Analytics uh, and, and, and projections in 19. 19- Nylon calculus. I remember reading them in 1997. Those oh, yeah. Guys. I mean, those nerds. What are they doing? What are they it's doing? Like... What do they know? They don't know anything. You know? <laughs> right. yes. On their X pages website. Those nerds. But uh, yeah, as far as Atlanta Hawks, I mean, he was right because they started the year 14 and 2. We're looking like they were cruising. And then, well, then December came and uh, they went 5 and 8 on the year. They dropped uh, their win percentage by 22%. Uh, still 19 and 10 on the year. So not bad. But. Um, 
I really think it was a tougher schedule that's going to play a big part in, in why the end of the month uh, on a five-game losing streak. They lost to uh, the Heat, the Jazz, the Bucks, the Bulls, and the Lakers, and four of those five are, are, are among the best teams in the entire league, uh, with the Bucks being an okay team. But, you know, you got the Heat are, are, are one of the best teams in the East. The Bulls are obviously the Bulls. The Lakers are, you know, doing very well in the West, and, and the Jazz are, of course, uh, doing well there. So, um, and their 11-game win streak early in the year, well, you know, when Dikembe was saying that they're, the nerds had them underrated or whatever, I think a lot of it was propped up by bad teams. I mean, a lot of that 11-game win streak was against teams like the Raptors, the Sixers, the Kings, the Clippers. I mean, a lot of the really bad teams. So it's 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 a case of like one month playing a lot of bad teams and the other month playing a lot of you know good teams. But as we'd see throughout their year, it, it'd be fine. I mean, they were not going to be that eleven or the fourteen and two team, but they're not the five and eight team either. They're somewhere in between. They they kind of regressed to the mean in, in a lot of ways uh, that year. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a nerd so term. Sorry, Dikembe. I, I, I regret using the nerd term. Right. The <laughs> He's going to get very upset, Dikembe. So. Yeah, we, we apologize, Dikembe. We, we may be slightly to be nerds. So it's, uh, <laughs> you know, we, we like you. We think you're good. So we, and uh, and I like the Hawks. So uh, so anyway, um, so uh, Rashid Wallace, uh, he was fined by the NBA for having shorts that were too long, which I think we mentioned last month. So he lifted his hem at least six inches above the knee, like in the uh, 70s. So uh, I, I could not find a picture of those, but I'm sure they're, it's uh, delightful to uh, see Rashid in short shorts. Um, and uh, Mitch Richmond, who had we, we kind of missed this. Uh, I think it was actually preseason where he had demanded a trade from the uh, Kings. Um, still is looking for one even after the uh, Sprewell controversy. Um he, uh, after a game, they played the Warriors. He was asked which of a number of teams he would to join. And then he said any of them would be fine. So, uh, um, <laughs> which is a... Uh, Anywhere but here. <laughs> which is a nice quote. So, um... Uh, yeah, so so that'll – I mean, it's not necessarily like a dominant storyline because he's not like he's demanding it every day, but it's something that's hanging over the uh, team, who, of course, are uh, not not good. Um, and then another uh, uh, kind of a big, like, overlooked uh, incident uh, that um, uh, Rod Strickland and Tracy Murray of the Washington Wizards got into a fight at a team hotel, which required Murray to get seven stitches below his left eye, and Strickland uh, underwent x-rays before the uh, Wizards uh, lost uh, – a, a game against the uh, Hornets. Um, each were fined uh, twenty five thousand for a fight at the team hotel. There were some rumors that it was involving a um, a, a woman, although they did not uh, discuss the uh, the incident. That that one kind of faded away um, early on, and I, I don't even honestly remember when that uh, happened. But uh, but definitely was a uh, was. Um, yeah, I, I guess it was it, the, the two. The, a dispute between the two had been brewing over a phone conversation between Murray and a woman in Los Angeles this is from the Washington Post. The woman taped the conversation, which included Murray making disparaging remarks about Strickland, and then played the tape for Strickland. So <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's a, that's a good uh, good NBA scandal there. Oh yeah, that's that's kind of a classic one though. That's pretty good. We'd we'd see Derek Fisher and, <laughs> and various others to involved in in similar cases there. But yeah, that's uh yeah the the, the stitches and the, that was that was a hell of a fight. So I don't, know, I don't know what's going on, guys. We're making making the most money ever. Like let's chill out, guys. It's you know the league's doing well. Let's all calm down a little. Like uh, indeed. Uh, another spree. Well, note uh, the NBA dot uh, com uh, did its best to expunge all record from him in the site. Um, and the Warriors' official homepage didn't just erase his bio page, but took him out of the official team stats. This is from the Oakland Tribune. <laughs> yeah, so, that's a little. <laughs> yeah. So that might be uh, a little much. That might be slightly uh, much. So, um, yes. Uh, so from uh, December twelfth, uh, the fifth lowest scoring game, uh, at least 
under record that um, I, I couldn't find any any more than five. It's, I'm not 100% sure about that, but one of the lowest scoring games in the NBA history in the uh, shot clock era was the uh, Jazz and the uh, Mavericks, uh, 68 to 66. So a fun one there. Um, uh, we're we're definitely getting toward the era in which the the pace is slowing, the uh, the the defense is stifling, and, and the scoring is less. Perhaps we'll have to get some um, overall numbers as we progress throughout the season. But um, from a article from the Desiree News. Um, it was the lowest scoring game ever by the Jazz, uh, the lowest scoring game in Jazz history for the two combines, um, and uh, the uh, it was a 24-second shot clock violation that cost the Jazz a chance for an upset, um, and, uh, and basically Don Nelson said that the, slowing it down and make, turning it into a slugfest was basically the only chance that they had to uh, win the game, even though it goes against their uh, strategy, and they came close. They only... Uh, only came within two points of that game so definitely not uh not one for the archives no definitely not and and, and looking at the stats it's actually kind of funny because michael finley scores 21 in the game dennis scott scores 21 uh nobody else does anything and <laughs> as far as the jazz uh come alone scores 23 and then pretty much nobody else has the except shannon anderson off the bench with 13 so he tried he tried to push push the pace a little bit but uh yeah, yeah. so the jazz they shot 43 uh 43 from the field they took five threes the entire game five threes john stockton uh took two howard isley took two and Byron Russell took one, uh, but the Mavericks—they they tried. I mean, they, they shot seven and nineteen from three. They they hit thirty-six percent. So it's actually you know they weren't terrible, but unfortunately they hit thirty-nine percent from the field, including Hubert Davis going three for thirteen, which is not ideal, and Khalid Reeves uh, going four of eleven, and Eric Strickland going one of eight. So yeah, not right. not great. But uh, not, Michael Finley did well, I guess. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so showing some of the uh, some potential there. There's also um, no assists. Like the Mavericks have sixteen total team assists, and the Jazz have fifteen total team assists, which right. is like you know what I mean. Like now that that's like you know yeah, they'll, it, James Harden has that in three quarters now, right? Like, and, and for a game involving even trying. <laughs> yeah, and for a game involving Stockton, uh, who just come back from injury, uh, by the way, uh, right? Had just debuted that season. Uh, that's uh, unusual. So. Yeah, four assists, only four assists for him. That's... Right. Yeah. So. Um, so uh, Glenn Rice named uh, Player of the Week for the uh, Hornets, who actually are, are playing uh, fairly well, averaged a 25.3 points, 6.5 rebounds, 3.5 assists. We enjoy uh, Glenn Rice here. Um, Allen Iverson was suspended a game for uh, missing uh, practice. and uh, the big. Well, I'm sure he learned his lesson, though, with this. So I'm <laughs> oh, yeah, sure this will never happen yeah. again. Yeah. No, it'll never happen again. <laughs> he's good. Thank God. He's, he's learned his, the errors of his ways, and Iverson will now attend every practice from here on out. So perfect. Yes. Um, so the NBA has uh, done away with the slam dunk contest, the big news of the uh, middle of the month uh, beyond the Spreewell stuff. Um, and the contest will be uh, replaced by a two ball uh, in which an, a WNBA player and an NBA player compete against uh, other pairs. I, I, I think that was sort of the similar to what the shooting stars event would be. The shooting stars. Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. Would, okay. Then they would add an old guy. They'd throw an old guy in there too. Yeah. <laughs> to sort of change I, it up. But I always enjoyed the shooting stars. I have to, admit. I did too. Like, People like, hated I mean, it. I, I, I love yeah. like Chris Bosch was like the legend. Of oh it yeah. Too. We won, that was like, always fun. Yeah. Or whatever. Like, no, I loved yeah. it. Yeah. I like seeing like George Gervin out there. I'm like, yeah, I can throw yeah. some alley. You can it's throw fun. a half court yeah. shot. Like, why yeah. not? Like, it's cool. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying I would replace it with the slide dunk contest, but I mean, the move it seems kind of ridiculous now but i mean the the slam dunk contest in terms of like the stars that you know there there were no stars there anymore and like the idea that like okay all these dunks have been done and you know we've certainly gotten to that point in 
different times in NBA history where we have like three or four sort of, you know, not not that exciting slam dunk contests in a row. And then and then we'll have a great one. You know, every like four or five years we'll have a great one. And it's like, okay, yeah, this is still kind of worth having. But you definitely are going to have some some stinkers or some at least relatively boring ones there. Right. Fred Fred Jones is going to win a slam dunk contest every so often. You know what I mean? You just have to. Jeremy Evans is going to win a contest. Nate Robinson is going to win, you know, three dunk contests. Yeah. But you're going to then you're going to get the Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon year. Exactly. Obviously get Vince Carter doing what he did and all that good stuff so yeah. can you I, off the top of your head who won it, last year's dunk contest oh uh <laughs> it not that guy from the jazz um no it was, was not uh Dar- yeah no i don't jeremy evans or it was um that... who okay who won because um yeah I, I don't remember yeah i don't either until i looked it up glenn robinson the third won oh that's right contest. okay so yeah like i said like this that last year was bad and now next year's right. gonna be bad again and people are gonna be like oh do we need this dunk contest and then it's gonna be fine and then yeah. you know someone's gonna do something pretty cool so yeah that's <laughs> yeah Take Did you know this, too? Your Atlanta Hawks uh, have the most all-time slam dunk contest champions. They're tied with the Knicks. They have four. The Knicks have four. So, there you go. Uh, okay. Um, all Dominique, but, you know. That's... Well, yeah, it, it's 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 Dominique, it's Spud Webb, and Josh Smith. Uh, Josh. Um, oh, right, Josh. I forgot about Josh. Yeah, I, that, that's I don't know who the fourth one would be. I'm, I'm not sure who the fourth one would be in that. I, um, I, I'm blanking we got, on. Yeah, Wilkins. You got two Wilkins. You got one Webb, and then you got uh, Josh Smith. So you got, oh, four, okay. So Number of whims. Okay. I, I, right. I oh, yeah. Sorry, sorry. Not different players. No, okay. no, no. Sorry. Number of total wins. Is, okay. Is, yeah. All right. All right. That, that makes sense. Yeah. And Dominique was jobbed in 88, as we all know. Exactly. So he should have one more than that. So that, you guys should hang that banner right. in Atlanta. <laughs> one of these days. Yeah. The five dunk contest championships banner. And just, even though it's four, throw the five up. You know you won 88. So. I, I think that's fair. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the Hawks need some banners. So, um, Yes, so the uh, USA Today's Roscoe Nance wrote that the NBA has alerted teams it is cracking down on excessive use of profanity by coaches and players. Offenders will be fined $2,500 and could be suspended. So no profanity, or at least yeah, less profanity. Uh, yeah, too much of it. I guess. I mean, I don't know if you've ever sat near an NBA bench, but uh, yeah, that, yeah, that has not uh, been strictly enforced over the last, uh, or, or ever, because yeah, there's a lot of swearing that goes on. But hey, I, I, I you know, it's fine. You come yes. to the game, you sit near the bench, you, you're going to have to deal with it. Um, December 17th, Kobe Bryant scored, uh, had its recent scoring flurries. He'd had uh, 27 points against Houston in the last 14 minutes of the game and then had his career high against uh, of 30 against Dallas. So um, he said there was no particular reason for breaking out like that. We just need to end a three-game losing streak and get some momentum going on a long trip. This is, of course, during a time in which uh, Shaquille O'Neal is out, and Kobe's definitely... Um, finding himself this season. I mean, he was a relatively small part of the the, the team the year before, even though he, had, he definitely had excited people. But this is really the year where he he's still coming off the bench, but uh, he's definitely he's breaking out. He's going to be in the All Star uh, game, and I, he's not going to be coming off the bench too much longer. I, I forget if it is during the season or if it's definitely by the next season. He's no longer coming off the bench. Yeah, I think I think for most of this season he was still bench because you still had Van Exel. I mean, this team is is very interesting. You know, Lakers team at this point. You still have Eddie Jones. You still have Nick Van Exel. You still have those other guys that are kind of. Up above him in the rotation quote-unquote but yeah Kobe would would emerge as, as one of their better scorers and then yeah by next year would would completely take over and then those guys obviously would be on the way out and many many other good things would come for the Lakers uh in in subsequent years but yeah this is the the last year of Kobe just being you know 
anything but the Kobe that we sort of know uh, and the Kobe that he would eventually become. But yeah, off the bench, it's it's pretty interesting to see him sort of emerge. And and, and this was a great, I mean, you know, obviously an injury is not a good thing, you know, with Shaquille getting hurt, but it was an opportunity for Kobe to sort of spread his wings a little bit. And they saw what they had in him and it it ended up, you know, being a a huge part of what would, you know, become the Lakers franchise for the next, you know, two decades, really. Yeah. And Rick Fox played pretty well during that time there. He'd already been a pretty good player in um, Boston. So it was just more of a, but but he, you know, emerged as someone who was playing well during the time. Robert Roy was playing pretty well during that time so you know they they had a, they had a lot of depth on that team I mean, that, that team definitely could have um made the finals you know uh perhaps if you know they'd had uh stronger coaching or stronger chemistry or whatever but they definitely had the talent to uh, oh do you that. leave del harris alone <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah, i mean I, i'm sorry i you know not i like del harris fine but you know maybe, maybe the uh you're, no J- you're i mean phil jackson it's, it's not an accident that once he's yeah. gone and they replace it with phil <laughs> then immediately the team is yeah. just an elite team, yeah, yeah i mean del harris is probably like you're just like basic like average coach who's not really going to hurt you not going to really help you is uh, you know supremely and obviously phil jackson's one of the best coaches ever so uh, that's probably the difference there but but i like this lakers team this is one of the rare times where i actually enjoy the Lakers team because I yeah. love Van Exel. I love Eddie Jones. You know, Kobe yeah. off the bench. It was just a, I mean, Kobe off the bench. Like, you're getting like 15, right. 20 a game from Kobe off the bench. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and there, are, there are several YouTube games on uh, with this team this season. So if you're interested in checking them out, there are some definitely good ones uh, available. Um, and uh, December 18th, we have a trade, uh, a, a fairly substantial trade. Uh, the uh, Sixers trade Jerry Stackhouse, uh, Eric Montrose, and a future second round pick to Detroit for Aaron McKee, Theo Ratliff, and a future first round pick. The uh, Sixers were off at this point to a 6 and 16 start. The uh, Pistons, after having started like 16 and 4 the year before, were 11 and 14. And uh, Doug Collins has had some quotes about uh, being grumpy and blaming his players for them being bad rather than himself. <laughs> Who would have thunk it? Yeah, the, the same Doug Collins? Are you sure? Yeah, no. I know it, it, it's shocking, but yes. So, including uh, I think in that in that quote, uh, he he starts out by saying like, "Oh, it's you know, and it's maybe my fault, or I can maybe do something." And then like within a minute, he's like, "Well, I mean, I, what, what what can I possibly do?" You know, yeah. what I mean? like, Red Auerbach wouldn't be able to coach this team, like, right? It's exactly. Funny. Like he couldn't. So. He tried to be like he tried to be humble for like a minute and a half, and he just couldn't do it. And was like, "Ah, well, what could you do? The team sucks." So that's that's pretty good. But yeah, this is one of the first of the because um, it would be it'd be kind of a trend over the next few years of trying to find the piece that would work with Allen Iverson. You know, eventually they would figure out, he doesn't need a piece, just let Allen Iverson do everything, but it was a time where, you know, okay, Stackhouse is going to be that first one, Larry Hughes would come a few years later. There would always be these guys that would sort of bring in, you know, Keith Van Horn was a guy too, and eventually they would just decide, hey, let's just let Allen Iverson shoot every time. <laughs> and then that worked, you know, they got to the finals. But uh, this is pretty cool, though, because you get Aaron McKee and Theo Ratliff, so you get some of the building blocks of what would become that that, that team that we'd see a few years later that, that would have be so successful. And, and guys like Aaron McKee were guys that just could fit a perfect role, or even Theo Ratliff before, you know, he was obviously uh, traded uh, for Dikemi Mutombo, but uh, guys that could f- sort of work around Iverson because they didn't need the ball. They were able to do stuff without, you know, shooting and scoring, whereas Jerry Stackhouse is obviously going to, you know, uh, going to want to be a scorer and want to do that sort of stuff, and eventually Larry Hughes and, and guys like that. Yeah, and, and Stackhouse, I mean, did he did, had some incredible scoring with the Pistons. I mean, he had one year where he just was close to the league, leading the league in scoring. Or, um, I mean, he was up in the low high twenties, close to thirty points a game. Uh, one season, yeah. I mean, I'm sure they're obviously trying to build around you know him and Grant Hill, and um, you know the, the Pistons were. I mean, they were a terrible team for that for the most part there, but they were not obviously a great one. They were just kind of okayish, and they would lose Grant Hill you know soon enough, and. Um, but then they'd be able to uh, n- not through this trade, but they were able had they 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 eventually selected uh, Carlos Delfino with that uh, pick by the way, which uh, wasn't super helpful to them. Although he did play on their uh, on it's the key to the championship. What are you talking about? Yeah, <laughs> here you go. He did play on the, that uh, you know the the very good teams, the great teams they would have uh, later on. So. 
Um, let's see. Uh, so, yes, yeah, some sad uh, injury news. Uh, December 20th, uh, Patrick Ewing breaks his right wrist uh, trying to catch an alley-oop during a game against the uh, Bucks. Uh, declared out the remainder of the season following surgery. In fact, it, it was soon seen as perhaps a, a career-threatening injury, although soon enough um, there's also talk about him going to the uh, playoffs. So uh, I think there's a lot of uh, speculation going on there. But, yeah, between him and Shaquille O'Neal, who misses most of the month, and then um, we, we forgot to mention it, but Hakeem Olajuwon also um, went down with injury uh, mm-hmm. during uh, Scotty's not playing. Scotty Pippen's not playing. Yeah, but Pippen too. But, yeah, the three you know preeminent big men of the uh, decade are yeah, uh, out right, there, right. And, and, and Pippen as well, obviously. So. So, uh, rough uh, time for uh, injuries. But luckily, uh, the emerging uh, NBA superstars, the young emerging NBA superstars, are ready to take over. But, yep. No, not there you really, go. I guess. Um... So yeah, we, that that stack question. One thing about that is that you know this is also a situation. Speaking of emerging uh, big men superstars, perhaps uh, Antonio McDice um, and uh, Kevin Garnett and Brett Barry are all guys who are at the point where they have to sign their rookie extensions. And obviously Garnett does that, signs a huge contract, kind of scares a lot of the league based on the money that he would get. Although obviously he would become one of the great players of all time. So, but at the time it, he was unproven, uh, although showed some great potential. But that was a and, and they were kind of having to face this decision. You know, um, uh, McDice gets traded from the uh, from the Rockets to the Suns, um, and Stackhouse gets traded here, where they have to decide: okay, are we going to sign them to these huge extensions, or are we going to trade them while they still have some value? And um, so this is kind of the uh, that is the impetus behind some of these trades, in, in addition to mm-hmm. you know kind of the lack of fit with uh, Stackhouse and other things. So. Yeah, but no, you're, you're starting to see – it's a weird period where you see a lot of injury or a, a lot of trades of, like, big-time guys. You're not necessarily like, yeah. the big, big guys, but, like, like – yeah, like, and, and it's kind of curious. Like, that's not a great trade for, you know, Detroit traded, you know, Aaron McKee and, and, and like – and those guys are fine. Aaron McKee and, 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 and Theo Ratliff are good players, but it's like, man, Jerry Stackhouse is, like, really good. But you know that there's a financial ramification to that, too. It's not simply just, oh, hey, this is – it's not just a fit thing because you look at that trade and you go, oh, geez, that's a lot to give up. You know, or that, you don't really get a lot for, for Jerry Stackhouse who's a great score or whatever. But yeah, it, it 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 a lot of financially you know backed trades or a lot of financially you know reasons for a lot of these trades that you see in this year, and that's why you see a lot of player movement too. A lot of those, not necessarily like I said, the top 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 superstars, but guys that the, the emerging stars or whatever are getting moved around a lot and, and and playing for different teams, and it's it's curious. And a lot of it is that yeah, that it's hey, do we really want to trade? There? Do we really want to give this guy that massive contract? You said the Garnett thing comes and it scares everybody. Like oh god, and you know obviously it would be another impetus for the labor, <laughs> you know labor stoppage. Yes. Yes. So, um, the, uh, a couple of, uh, Carl Malone notes. I'm just going to read this. This is, I believe from the, uh, this is from an AP account. Um, a barrier of sorts might have been hurdled when in a recent game at Orlando, uh, Carl Malone gave a pack pat on the backside to a referee, a female referee. The action, which Malone has done many times to many to male refs was hooted at by some fans, but official D Cantner just acknowledged the fans with a shrug and a smile. So, uh, Carl Malone keeping it classy there for uh, sure. Uh, <laughs> And another uh, another Malone really note. Um, age hasn't slowed him, but it has cost him some hair. So the league's MVP added his endorsement to another product recently: extra strength Rogaine. So I remember that. I remember that very well. He was yeah. uh, always on the Rogaine commercials. <laughs> yeah. I used to play during. I used to play during wrestling. So I was just like, oh man. Oh yeah. <laughs> it would be oh. sense and blue and like Rogaine, and I'm like, oh man. Like I guess they think wrestling fans don't have hair. All right, it's fine. Yeah. Well, a lot of or have dandruff. The ones that do have hair have dandruff, and the ones dandruff, that yeah. uh, the other ones need hair. So. Uh, uh, exactly. So. So uh, there was a uh, a backstage fight between uh, Derek Coleman of the Sixers and Brian Williams. Stop of, fighting, guys! Come feature, on, this league yeah. is doing well. Like, <laughs> Bison Daly and um, and the Sixers basically um, 
there was um uh, I'm oh yeah so uh Coleman stopped by the Pistons locker room to uh, to visit Grant Long who was his former teammate and friend and then uh Brian Brian Williams yelled get out of here this is a visitors locker room they shoved each other and was and Coleman's about to throw a punch when Long stepped in and broke it up so uh yeah and and, and Coleman is going to he seems to be very angry this month because he's uh, going to get into another uh, incident uh <laughs> um pretty soon um a, uh, and in fact, this December 28th is the fight between him and Corliss Williamson. And, and I could not find video of this, but this seems like an actually like fairly like fierce one that was uh, that was going on. Um, they uh, yeah, they, they definitely uh, it came to blows fairly seriously. I'm looking for the uh, specific count of the uh, of the fight here. Um, so yeah, midway through the fourth quarter, they had been fighting on for a rebound, and uh, Mitrishman missed a shot. Coleman grabbed the rebound, made a pass. Williamson attempted to block the pass, but ran into Coleman. He then shoved him before heading up court. Then Williamson chased after Coleman, swung wildly from behind him, just grazing the top of his head with a right forearm. Coleman retaliated with a punch, and the two ended up in front of a scorer's table where they exchanged punches before wrestling with each other as teammates piled on. So. Uh, this is from a LA Times account of, from an uh, AP story of this uh, fight from December uh, 30th. So, uh, so sounds like a fairly intense one. Williamson then, like uh, said, as he as he uh, started off the court, he knew he made a bad decision. I heard the crowd kind of cheering me. I don't want kids out there thinking I did the wrong thing. I just lost it. It was the wrong uh, reaction. So, uh, there you go. Williamson uh, sad about uh, <laughs> uh, about about what he had. Uh, about what he had done there. So, and they were both suspended. They were both fined and suspended for their roles in the uh, fight. I also love this quote from uh, Jeff Petrie, the uh, the Kings GM. Said it was an uncharacteristic of Corliss's nature and character. He's an emerging star with no history of this sort of outlaw mentality. I, uh, Jeff, uh, I, I got uh, unfortunate news to tell you about Corliss Williamson's emerging star uh, yeah. potential. That's, uh, uh, that's I, I, uh, I mean, good player, good role player. Yeah, but, totally fine. Uh, yeah. You might want to temper those expectations on emerging star. You know, if I if I had a time machine, I would probably use it to tell Jeff Petrie that Corliss Williamson is is, is going to be fine. He's okay, he's, but he's going to be all right. Yeah, but reel it yeah. in a little. You might want to find some other pieces on the team. Don't build around Corliss Williamson. That that might not work out very well. Maybe not the uh, best idea. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Uh, David Robinson named a player of the week, averaging uh, almost 30 points, 14 rebounds, and 2.3 blocks for the uh, Spurs. They they, they had kind of had a little bit of an up and down month, but are kind of coming to uh, uh, together here. Um, Dallas's Bubba Wells, uh, he has six fouls in three minutes of a 115-105 loss to Chicago, broke the 41-year-old NBA record set by Dick Fairley of the uh, Syracuse Nationals in 1956 against the uh, St. Louis um, Hawks. So, uh, so fun times for Bubba Wells there. Good, good at trivia there. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah, it kind of the the. One of the crazier stories of the uh, month, a uh, historic game for a lot of reasons on uh, December 30th. Um, Michael Jordan scores 33 points. He passes Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's record of 786 consecutive games with at least uh, 10 points. Uh, the Timberwolves actually win the game 99-95 to a 95 for their first win ever against the Bulls. Um, this also was uh, – this ended the um, Bulls' uh, winning streak. But but the, the crazy thing is that uh, Michael Jordan is the victim of a hoax that his mother uh, was in the hospital. And he'd receive a phone call during that time. Um, 
and he was visibly shaken by this. He didn't return until the uh, until after the start of the uh, second half as he tried to uh, find out if the information was true. He came in like four minutes, I think, after the uh, half begun. So uh, kind of crazy for all that uh, stuff to uh, happen in just uh, one game. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, yeah, the uh, yeah the hoax where, you know, and then he says, you know, it was one of those things that you don't want to fall by the wayside. And, like, it, it's hard, you know, obviously in the, in the pre-cell phone era, it was like he, he probably, like, had to go to the hospital or have somebody that he knew go and make sure because it's like you, you just never quite sure what, what's going on there but yeah it was a, a tough moment for him but yeah the passing career the market 787 consecutive games with 10 points it's just nuts like and that's it's one of the things that we talk about it's great that when you go through NBA history and we still do it today where like it's like the first to do it since and it's always like Wilt Chamberlain Kareem you know what I mean like it's always those two guys is like the first to do it since or whatever and, and Kareem is another example of just Kareem's amazingness and, and and Jordan too I mean to his credit you know that that's a ton of games with at least 10 points I and mean, that's never having really a, a, a true off night Never having a night where you get hurt within five minutes of the game or whatever. You know, I mean, there's a lot of stuff. Right. Ten points is is easy for a guy like a Jordan or whatever, and even easy for a Jabbar. But there's a lot of factors that play into that. I mean, that's got to be. You can't, you know, roll your ankle four minutes into the game and, and and sit out. You can't, you know, have a night where you just got ah, it's not my night. Whatever, you know, I'll, I'll I'll let everybody else do it. It's 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 and that ten points is you know we say that, but it, it's not that easy to get ten points in a, in a game. So it's 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 pretty cool mark there for for, for Jordan, and then obviously a, a great history for Cream uh, there. Absolutely. Well. So uh, and Jordan uh, is named uh, player. Of the month, he averages a 28.4 points, 6.9 rebounds. The Bulls went 11 and 3 in December. Uh, Tim Duncan named Rookie of the Month for the second time. Duncan he averaged uh, 19.3 points, 11.8 rebounds, 2.7 blocks. The Spurs went nine and four. And George Carl was uh, for the for the Sonics Coach of the Month. Uh, Seattle went 11 and three in uh, December, so they're. Um, I think at the end of the month, they're either at the top or very near the top of the standings for the month as the Lakers cool down slightly after their extremely hot start. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, so so at the end of the month, uh, Don Nelson reaches an agreement for on a two-year coaching contract. So he was currently coaching under his five-year, $7.2 million GM contract, and then he gets he gets an additional $6 million for the two years he's going to be a coach as well. So he gets a nice uh, little raise at, to uh, end the year for uh, Don Nelson. <laughs> and uh, one more note on the, uh, the Nuggets. They are um, on pace to set the NBA record for losses. They're um, – 0.17 winning percentage is lower than any uh, team in any sport, major sport has uh, ever finished with. So it's not looking uh, good for him. Um, and yeah, the, the 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 Nuggets are kind of on a trust the process uh, track. Uh, their coach uh, Bill Hanslick and their bow and their their GM, um, but both basically say, well, you know, we're not looking to make any moves that would help us at the moment because we, you know, don't want to, you know, we have all the salary cap space that we're going on and we, we, we want to, you know, we, we don't want to sacrifice that to get better now because, you know, a few games might make our fans and us feel better, but it's not going to help us in the long term. So let's see how that, uh, <laughs> well, Sam the, going. <laughs> how, how that ends up going for the, uh, the nuggets. Will it go well? well Will it go poorly? We don't know. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, well. I predict, and then you know, maybe maybe a decade it'll, it'll work out. But yeah, until then, maybe. it's going to yeah. be yeah. a little tough. But yeah, no, Nuggets they go one and fourteen in this month, two and twenty six on the year at this point. So yeah, things are are, are not going well. And it's, uh, it's looking at the standings. There's actually there's there's a lot of bad teams in this league right now. And uh, right. in the East, there's not too many. You got Philadelphia at seven and twenty one. Uh, Toronto they're four and twenty six. You know, still kind of emerging uh, as an expansion team. Uh, and then the West, you actually have a, a big glut of bad teams. Um, 
You have, of course, the aforementioned Denver Nuggets. They're two and twenty-six on the year. Uh, the Mavericks are five and twenty-five. We mentioned them a little earlier. Uh, the Clippers being, you know, doing Clippers things at six and twenty-four. You know, sort of flying under the radar, being bad. You know, the usual Clippers. Uh, and then the Warriors at uh, seven and twenty-one. So they kind of fall off uh, and have some bad issues as well. Uh, and then the Vancouver Grizzlies at ten and twenty. So uh, a lot of bad teams. Even the Sacramento Kings are only eleven and twenty as well. Uh, just kind of give a quick little breakdown as well. Western Conference they have four teams uh, under ten wins, while the East only has two, and then the West has seven teams over five hundred, while the East has eleven. So you're seeing a big glut of kind of average teams in the East. A, a few teams emerging, obviously the Bulls, the Heat, uh, and the Hawks, the Pacers kind of emerging from the East. Uh, and then the West, you have the Supersonics, the Lakers, the Jazz, the Suns, the Trailblazers, all kind of in the top. But you're seeing some teams kind of rise up there a little bit. San Antonio, as you mentioned, they're starting to do well. Uh, they go 9-4 and four in the year. Um, but yeah, you kind of have the East is kind of a big glut of, of, of okay teams. And the West is sort of a few good teams and a lot of bad teams. But uh, it's interesting to see how the standings are, are going to kind of shake out and, and, and work as, as we go on throughout the season. But uh, other bigger moves before we get out of here. The um, the Bulls mentioned eleven and three on the year or on the uh, in the month. Uh, the Seattle SuperSonics eleven and three in the month as well. Uh, Indiana Pacers we haven't mentioned them, but they're eleven and four, kind of uh, doing well. Uh, Miami Heat continue to be a pretty good team, ten and four uh, in the month. And then the San Antonio Spurs, you said, sort of emerging at nine and four. And then your bottom five teams that we've mentioned before: Denver Nuggets one and fourteen, Dallas Mavericks one and fourteen, Philadelphia 76ers three and twelve, uh, Toronto Raptors three and eleven, and the Vancouver Grizzlies three and nine. So uh, some some movers and shakers and the haves and the have-nots and and the month of december so yes so uh yeah interesting month um like i said both on the court and especially off the court with the um with the Spreewell stuff uh we'll be you know uh looking more at that as the months come along it, it, i think it stays relatively quiet until there's his his hearing and uh and so forth so we'll uh we'll, we'll be delving more in a month into that we'll be delving more into obviously uh how the bulls are going to come scotty piffin's going to be coming back soon um we're going to look into how the uh, Vin Baker, Sean Kemp trade is working out for the teams involved. Uh, there's going to be some more interesting trades. There's going to be a lot of good stuff coming on, uh, coming up over the uh, next few months. So uh, anything else you want to get into, Rich? Uh, no, I think uh, I think we got it there. I think it's a pretty good uh, look at uh, December, which is a very uh, very newsworthy month. This is one of our big guys. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how uh, how it all shakes out. And it's a very interesting league right now. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what January has in store there for us. There you go. Maybe they'll start playing a little faster so we can enjoy the game. <laughs> more but we'll, uh, <laughs> i'm sure they will i'm sure yeah, they will. Absolutely. so uh thanks everyone for uh listening to the show you can find us at the uh, step back at fansided.com you can also uh find us on twitter and facebook at over and back nba we appreciate uh your follows and your uh, comments you can specifically follow uh us at nba 20 years ago which are a twitter account dedicated to documenting the happenings of the nba exactly 20 years from the date in which the tweet is uh, sent um and um yeah, that's uh, that's that's some major stuff. You can also find us uh, iTunes, uh, Stitcher, TuneIn, uh, pretty much anywhere in which you can listen to podcasts. We are now on there, Google Play included. So uh, and uh, so, listen to us. Leave us uh, ratings and reviews. Uh, give us some uh, validation that you like us, and also it helps uh, share us with other people. So, uh, so thanks for all that, and we will uh, talk to you soon.